This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Hello, friends, and welcome back. Today I'll continue in this series of episodes called As He Leads. If you haven't listened to the previous ones, I encourage you to go back and listen. I talk a bit more about why I do this from time to time. I'll start by reading a familiar scripture. This comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And I'll read what Paul said about the gift of prophecy. I know that this word prophecy can be sort of a stumbling block to some people. Various church traditions have different meanings for what this word prophecy means. And I've talked about the prophetic gift in an extended series of teachings. The prophetic gift in the New Testament looks very different from the prophetic gift in the Old Testament. And yet at the base, it's still the same gift, just allowing the Lord to speak. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we read what Paul writes. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. For anyone who speaks in another language does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit, and that's the gift of tongues. The word that is translated in English so often as tongue, the gift of tongues, really just means another language. Continuing in verse 3, But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. I've said it before. This word strengthening is the word edification, like an edifice to build up a building. So the prophetic gift in the New Testament is speaking a timely word from the Lord, spiritually given, to other people to strengthen them, encourage them, comfort them, and also to instruct people. If you look a little bit later in the chapter, in verse 31, Paul writes, For you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. There's encouragement again, but also instruction. And in the church meetings, the way that it was in the first century, and I believe the way it ought to be these days, is found in Paul's instructions about orderly worship. What shall we say then, brothers? Verse 26. When you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace. So this prophetic gift is really listening for the Lord, listening for the Spirit of God to speak, and receiving a revelation that would be shared with other people to encourage them, instruct them, build them up, comfort them. 
And that is my hope for these episodes. As he leads, I've just turned on the microphone and don't have any notes. Wasn't sure what I was going to say up to this point and don't know what I'm going to say after this point. And I pray that God will give some revelation that will be helpful to you, that will either strengthen you or encourage you, instruct you or comfort you. It's done for the benefit of the church. I also want to say that I am very unworthy of such a gift, and it is only God's kindness that would allow anything like this to happen and have effect. Let's remember that he is the vine and we're the branches, and the life flows from him through us into fruit-bearing, but it really is his life, it's his power, it's his goodness and kindness. If you feel like it is of the Lord, thank him. Give him thanks. To God alone be the glory. Also, just a little note about how this works. You'll hear a small break between the different things that I share. In reality, that break is much longer. Sometimes I'll sit and pray for several minutes at least before I share the next thing. But it doesn't make for very interesting listening if you were to sit there for two or three minutes with silence. So what you're hearing is a cleaned-up, edited version of what I'm going to share. I, I want to remove anything that's a distraction. That's the primary focus here, is to serve you and help you. And wherever you are right now, whatever you're doing, I encourage you to calm yourself before the Lord. Ask Him to give you ears to hear. Ask Him to make you into good soil, so that any seed of His Word that might come to you would take root and bear fruit for his glory and to serve other people. Okay, so I'll start and we'll see what comes of this. Well, the first thing that comes to mind is the word freedom. And I do believe this is a word for probably many people that are listening. Ask and see if this is a word for you. A couple of scriptures come to mind, and it's actually something that I said as I came up out of the baptismal waters. I was baptized when I was 30 years old. I became a follower of Jesus a few years earlier, but nobody really told me that I should be baptized, immersed in water. I had been sprinkled as a child, but that wasn't a a decision that I made, and so I felt convicted that I should be baptized in water, and so I asked the pastor of our church to baptize me. And as I came up out of the waters, I was dunked underwater, and as I came up, I yelled out a scripture that is found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. I yelled pretty loudly, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. I had to go look it up later. I Felt like it was probably a verse from the Bible, but I couldn't remember exactly where it was. But that's what the Lord put on my heart as I was baptized. Going down into the baptismal waters and dying to the old self, and then coming up out, being raised into this new life. And the word that he gave me was, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Now the book of Galatians is addressed to those people who had been set free, had come to Christ freely, not by any works that they had done, not by earning it, but had just believed, simply believed in Jesus. 
They'd been set free, but they were beginning to fall back into old ways. And I think this is a word for somebody that's listening. You have been set free. You've been walking with the Lord. But you're falling into old ways again. These traps and these snares are grabbing you again. And you're falling back into old habits. And you're falling into amen, maybe religious activities, but not spiritual activities. You're playing at church, but you're not abiding in the Lord. Amen. Very close to something that Jesus spoke very badly about, which was a, a cup that's clean on the outside, but really dirty on the inside. I don't say this to condemn you. God is not revealing this to you in order to condemn you. He wants to bring you out of that again. Just the same as when Paul wrote to the Galatians. He wanted to bring truth and light because they were falling back into their old ways of thinking. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm and don't let yourself be burdened again by this yoke of slavery. Don't go back. And if you have gone back, you need to put all that stuff to death. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. We need to remember that, that Jesus came to set us free. And it's for freedom that he has set us free. Paul also says in Galatians chapter 5, You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. That's a good word for all of us, really, but for some that are listening right now, you were called to be free, but don't use that freedom to be selfish with your time or with your talents. Use those things to serve others in love. And remember, love is going to involve self-sacrifice. There will be many times when you cannot do what you want to do if you're going to serve somebody else. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free, but don't use that freedom to be selfish. Use that freedom to serve others. This is the character of Jesus himself, and I've said it before, it's one of the reasons I respect him so much, is he taught things and he did those same things. So I say to you, just as Paul said to the Galatians, live by the Spirit, and you won't gratify those desires of your sinful nature. The sinful nature and the Spirit, they are in conflict with each other. So we need to be led by the Spirit. So this is a word for you. I believe, someone who's listening right now, this is really what the Lord wants you to hear. You were walking in freedom, but you've begun to fall back into old habits. Amen. There's that image that Jesus uses of a branch that is separated from the vine. It withers up. And perhaps you're feeling like you're withering. Turn from the things that are dragging you down. Ask the Lord to give you the power, the grace, to repent, amen, to repent and return to him so that his life would flow and that your freedom would not be found in your own selfish behavior but in his flow of life. Another scripture comes to mind on that theme of freedom, and I've shared it recently. I don't remember exactly when it was that I shared it with you all. It's found in Hebrews chapter 2. Since the children have flesh and blood... He too shared in their humanity, Jesus shared in our humanity, so that by his death 
he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Amen. Because Jesus died the death that he died, he actually destroyed the power of the devil, that power of death, and he has made it possible for us to be free, we who have been held in slavery by a fear of death. Amen. Remember the imagery from Psalm 23, that the good shepherd leads the sheep through the valley of the shadow of death, but there are still waters and green pastures up ahead. We have nothing to be afraid of, and he sets us free from any fear of death or destruction. As hard as things may be for us, there are still green pastures and still waters up ahead. The scriptures say that for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. And very often that is the path that we have as well. Going through hard things, but we know that there's so much good up ahead and we don't need to be held in bondage to a fear of death or a fear of hardship because our future is secure. It's anchored in the character of God. Amen. So God has come to set you free. And I encourage you, turn away from those things that are tying you down again, binding you up again. Turn away and walk in freedom and use that freedom, amen, in selfless ways. And you're going to find, as you are obedient in this word, you're going to find that the flow of God's life is going to continue and increase. Amen. Well, let's see what else he has for us. Okay, well, I'm not quite sure how to communicate what I'm sensing. It's sort of an image in my mind, and I think I understand the meaning of it. But I don't know if I've got good words to communicate it well. So in my mind, there's an image of a person swimming, and it seems to be in a very large lake, I would think, not in the ocean, but far, far from shore. And the water is not still, but it's not stormy. And the person is swimming through this water. And it's not terribly difficult to swim, but it's a challenge to keep, amen, to keep your head above the waves. But they're not overwhelming waves. And you're in deep water, so there's no place to stop and stand up and rest. Amen. There's this sense of just keep swimming. And there's a sense that I have of being in a situation that's like this, swimming in deep water, far from shore, having to move ahead, and it's work. There's labor involved, and it almost feels like a strain, and yet the water is actually supporting your body. The circumstances are actually holding you up a little bit, even though it may seem like the circumstances are the difficulty. They're actually helping in some ways. Amen. And the water itself cools the swimmer. As the swimmer is getting hot from swimming and exerting all this energy, the surrounding water actually cools that person's body. Amen. So it's a sense of, okay, well, see if this is for you. Just like the swimmer in deep water, you are in a place in life where you're on the long slog. You're really having to swim 
and exert energy and you can't stop. You've got a feeling like, well, I just can't stop and stand up and take a breather. I've got to keep going. And yet the circumstances, though they are hard and the situation seems difficult because there's no land nearby, at the same time, you are supported within that situation and the circumstances are not overwhelming. You can continue swimming. Amen. I think this is a word for somebody. You find yourself in a time of life where you kind of wish you could just stop and stand up and take a big deep breath, but you got to keep going. There's no stopping now. Oh, and I'll say it may be that you have people around you telling you that you need to take a break. But in your spirit, you know, nope, this is not the time to take a break. I need to keep going. I need to keep working at what God has got me in. Amen. So don't listen to those voices. If this is for you, yeah, I think it is a word for somebody. See, if you feel the Spirit of God affirming this in your heart, you have people around you, maybe even family members, dear friends that really love you, and they're saying, we know it's hard, you need to take a break. Amen. Maybe they'll use the word holiday, you need to take a holiday, you need to go off, have some, quote, me time, unquote. (laughs) Oh my goodness, I can't think of anything that would be more contrary to the will of God than selfishly taking me time. Now, God may give us time of refreshment, he certainly will, but it needs to come from him, not from me. But this word is for people who are in a particular situation. And I think you know that when I'm talking to you, you know this word is for you. The work is hard, but it's not overwhelming. It's not hopeless by any means. And I want to encourage you that the situation God has put you in is actually a help to you in ways that you may not be aware of. For instance, the water supports and cools the swimmer. And your situation, even though it's hard and it's all around you and you can't stop and take a breather, so that circumstance that you're in is a constant thing. It's actually God's avenue of grace for you. The circumstances you find yourself in are one of the ways that God is bringing encouragement to you and strength. Just like the swimmer keeps swimming, you're building up muscle. You really are getting stronger. Amen. So I encourage you, uh, that scripture comes to mind, keep fighting the good fight. Keep expending that energy. Keep pressing on in the things that God has given you. Uh, You're not going to sink. You will not be overwhelmed. Amen. God is making you into a strong person who is able to, amen, run that long race. Amen. You may feel like You want to just sit down in a chair and have a cool drink, but that's not possible right now in the situation that you're in. The shore is far away, but it's getting closer. The more you swim, the closer you are to that place of rest that you desire. But you're going to make it. You are going to make it, and you're actually going to make it uh, triumphantly. I have this image of the swimmer arriving on the shore and getting up and walking on shore, as opposed to a person who just barely gets to the shore and lies down exhausted. Yeah, my image of you is that when this race is done, when you do get to the shore, 
uh, you're just going to be so strong that you'll be invigorated and, amen, ready to walk into what comes next. Not worn out, but actually strengthened. Much stronger than when you started this journey. Amen. That's my encouragement for you. You keep going. You keep going. It's not as bad as you think that it... How do I say this? People in situations like the one you're in may tend to think that they're overwhelming and difficult and you just can't do it. But your situation is not that way. And I think you know what I'm saying is true. Uh, There are other people around you who are not called to the kind of situation that you're in, the circumstance that you're in, and so they don't have the grace to go through it, but God is giving you the grace, the power, to accomplish what he has set you to. Amen. That scripture comes to mind. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, because it is God who works in you, both to will and to do according to his good purpose. So the application here for you is you keep working this out, but actually it's God who is at work in you. It's his power. And he's not only giving you the will to do what's in front of you, he's actually going to give you the ability to do what is in front of you. Don't think about your weaknesses. Think about his strengths and his character. Amen. Okay, let's see if there's something else that God has for us. Well, the next thing that comes to mind is a psalm that I've been thinking about for the past few weeks, and I hadn't planned to talk about it today, but I do feel like the Lord wants me to bring it up. The pastor of our church has been doing a series of sermons that sort of revolve around Psalm 145, and I feel like I should just talk about a few things here. If you get a chance, please go and read it. I won't read the whole thing, but I'll mention a few things that are here. First of all, this is a psalm of praise that David wrote. And you know, David is an amazing guy. He fought wild animals and killed them. He was uh, a warrior and a king, a worship leader, a poet, a really amazing guy. What I want to emphasize here in Psalm 145 today is the character of God. We'll start in verse 3. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. They will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They will tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. Well, he wrote this quite a few generations ago, didn't he? And we are still commending the works of God to each other. The Lord really is great, and he really is worthy of praise, and that greatness is beyond understanding. We just can't fathom it. So I've highlighted a few things here. Mighty, glorious, wonderful, awesome, great, righteous, having abundant goodness. That's our God. He's mighty and glorious and wonderful and awesome and great. He has abundant goodness. He's full of righteousness. The Lord is gracious. He's compassionate. He's slow to anger. He's rich in love. He's good to all. He has compassion on all that he has made. In verse 11, 
David talks of God's glory, the glory of his kingdom, and his mighty acts, the glorious splendor of his everlasting kingdom. His kingdom endures through all generations. Here's a really good part. The Lord is faithful to all his promises, loving toward all he has made. The Lord upholds all those who fall, and he lifts up those who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living being. Amen. God is faithful to his promises, and he is loving towards his creation. Here in verse 14, he lifts up those who are bowed down. You know, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Amen. That's the character of God. He is righteous and loving. Verse 18, he is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in the truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and he saves them. He watches over all who love him. I want to encourage you. We live in an age that tells us we have to watch ourselves. We have to look to ourselves, seek our own gratification, seek our own happiness. And here in Psalm 145, David is turning our eyes away from ourselves and on to this great, praiseworthy God, a God who is mighty and glorious and wonderful and awesome and great and gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger. He's rich in love. He's good. He has a kingdom that endures through all generations. He is faithful to his promises. He's loving towards all he has made. He is near to anyone who calls on him. He is righteous in all his ways. He is loving. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears your cry. Amen. This is our God. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. Amen. The second part of verse 3 reminds me of something that happened to me long ago. I would have been in my early 20s, I think, when one of my great aunts was on her deathbed. And I went to visit her when she was at a retirement home. She had put on a lot of weight, I think because of the drugs that she was being given. She wasn't able to get out of bed very well. She was lying in bed. She was a believer. And I was a young man and not following Jesus at the time. And as I was talking to her, she said, I'm just trying to fathom it all. I'm just trying to fathom it all. Remember her using that word fathom. For those whose first language is not English, the word fathom is, it comes from a nautical term, if I understand, that talks about depth, the depth of the ocean. To fathom something is to really understand it deeply. And the psalm says that his greatness no one can fathom. Nobody can understand the full depth of the greatness of God. And my great aunt was lying on her deathbed, and she was trying to fathom it, trying to make sense of her life. This is the way I understood it. All the years that had gone before, and here she was at the end of her days on this earth, and she was trying to fathom it all. It's very sweet. And I didn't have a reply to her. I had no idea what to say to her. Uh, I wasn't even trying to fathom <laughs> the meaning of life or the greatness of God. I wasn't even, that would not have even been a question I would ask. I had no words for her. I wish I could have comforted her more. Of course, just being there and holding her hand and speaking with her was a comfort. Now I know that when her spirit left her body, she moved into a realm 
where she was free from the troubles that her body was giving her. And she moved into a place where she would begin to fathom much better the goodness and the greatness of God and the meaning of life and the freedom, the real freedom that God promises his people. I really look forward to seeing her in eternity. I hope we have a lot of time to sit down and chat. (laughs) She was a great lady. But we got to understand, we are children. We're just like blades of grass or flowers that bloom and then wither. We're like a breath of air that's here and then gone. And the Lord is so great. Who are we that he would care for us? Who are we that he would love us? We can't fathom that. And yet, that's the God that we have. That is the creator of the universe. He's gracious. He's compassionate. He really is slow to anger, and he is rich in love, and he's good, and he's everlasting. He's faithful. Amen. I encourage you, go into Psalm 145. I was speaking with a friend the other day about how to meditate on the Scripture, and one thing that I've done is pray and see if the Lord leads me to a particular Scripture, some verses, several verses maybe, and then I guess I'd say park on those scriptures for a week or two, every morning for 15 minutes at least, to read those scriptures and meditate on them and not move off of that until it's gone deep down inside. And you don't have to work on memorizing scripture if every morning for 15 minutes, for two weeks, you read through and think about that scripture and ask the Lord to reveal his truths. At the end of a couple of weeks, you're going to have it memorized. So maybe Psalm 145 is something like that for some people that are listening. Just go in and park yourself in Psalm 145 and let the Lord reveal things to you. Amen. Okay, let's see if there's something else that comes to mind. Well, what comes to my heart is a warning. It feels like a bit of a warning. And the word that leaps out is the word stop. The image and the idea that comes to mind is, imagine a road that leads to the edge of a cliff, and it's out of goodness that a state would put up a sign that says, stop. (laughs) Not yield or slow down, it's stop. Because what's up ahead is disaster. And I feel like God is saying to someone who's listening right now, You need to stop. You're involved in something, and maybe as I speak, God is bringing some conviction to your spirit about what this circumstance is. Amen. It may be a relationship that you're in that you know is leading to spiritual disaster. It may be a hidden sin. I I do want to emphasize that it's a relationship. I think for somebody who's listening, You know, sometimes people will say it takes a long time to turn a ship around. When you need to go in the other direction, sometimes it just takes a long time. But for you right now, that is not the situation. You need to stop. Come to a full stop. Because there's a cliff ahead. And God knows that there's a cliff ahead. And he does not want you to go over that cliff. He came to save. He didn't come to condemn Actually, you know what? If Jesus was going to condemn you, he would let you go off that cliff, right? 
he would say, you deserve what you get. But he didn't come to condemn. He came to save. And right now he wants to save you from a certain disaster. And he's saying to you, stop. You need to stop. Right now my daughter is coming up on 14 years old and I'm beginning to teach her how to drive. And one of the very first things that we learn is how to come to a stop, how to stop the car where you want it to stop. So we'll be driving very slowly on some back road and then I'll say, okay, stop with your front tires at the edge of this shadow that's up on the road. So she practices coming to a stop. And several times she did what we call a rolling stop, which is she got to the edge of stopping, but she didn't completely stop. And then she continued on. And I told her, well, you didn't stop there. And she said, yes, I did. I said, no, no, you didn't. And she's like, really? I thought I did. (laughs) What is it about human nature? When we're told to stop, we think, well, we don't really have to stop completely. If we get close and make sure everything looks okay, we'll just keep moving, keep rolling. It's better to keep rolling than come to a complete stop. But I'm telling you, don't do that in the circumstance that you're in. Right now, when God is telling you to stop what you're involved in, it is truly a matter of life and death. It's a matter of being saved. What's ahead is a cliff. It's a waterfall. It's disaster. It's not survivable. It'll do so much damage if you keep moving. And the Lord, in his compassion and his kindness, is asking me to hold up a big stop sign for you. And it really means stop. It really means that. And I encourage you as much as I can, be obedient Love God more than yourself. Amen. Yeah, this is the way you can show your love for God is by being obedient. What he's saying to you. Trust him with all the other circumstances. You might be thinking, well, if I stop, then this will happen and that will happen and it will be a problem and this and that. But that doesn't matter. You need to obey. You really do need to obey. Now, there might be somebody listening who's thinking about divorce, and God is saying, stop. Don't even let your thoughts go in that direction. The avenue of God's salvation is not the avenue of divorce. Amen. One thing that the Apostle Paul said there in 1 Corinthians is that people should weigh carefully what prophets say. And I ask you to weigh very carefully anything that I've shared. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, you have the Spirit of God, and you have the right and the responsibility to discern what he is saying to you. I want to play my role. I want to do my part as he leads me. And a part of my responsibility is to encourage you to weigh very carefully what I say to see if it applies to you. And I guess I'll close with what Paul said. I, You know, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts eagerly desire them. There are a lot of different kinds of gifts that God gives. They're spiritual gifts. Everybody on the face of the earth is born with natural gifts of some kind, but these are spiritual gifts for followers of Jesus that are given to bless other people, that his blessings would flow through us. And so I encourage you, eagerly desire his gifts. Ask him, Lord, I'd love to have some of these gifts if they're helpful. If you want me to have these gifts, I'd love to have it. So please show me what those gifts are and help me 
to walk in these things? Well, friends, I feel like I've come to the end of this one. <laughs> I thank you for listening, and I pray that God will give you ears to hear, give me ears to hear, so that we would respond and submit ourselves to him. Jeremiah 6.16, again, comes to mind. It's really the foundation of why I'm doing these recordings, to encourage us all to ask for these ancient paths and to walk in these ancient paths. And I encourage you, stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and then walk in it and you will find rest for your soul. Amen. Jesus said to his disciples, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thank you for listening and God bless you all. Thank you.